with us this morning, I want to invite you to open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. I want to say uh, just just a, a note here and remind you that Joe and Jerry Lynn Cato are celebrating 50 years of marriage this week. And uh, we're celebrating with them. The Bible reminds us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Um, and as some, some celebrate, others are going through hard times. I don't know what battle you're facing this morning. The title of our series that we're going to begin today is Spiritual War. Maybe you're facing battles in your financial life. Or maybe you're facing a health crisis. Or maybe you have a family issue, a battle that you're facing in your family life. Maybe in your marriage, maybe you're facing a struggle about your employment. Whatever it may be, what you need to have today and what the Lord wants to give you is spiritual eyes to see that the battle is, is not about the thing that's in front of you, but it's a spiritual war that's taking place in heavenly places that you cannot see. And that every battle that we face here on this earth, every day that we battle, we're battling a spiritual enemy. And here's the thing. You have a side to choose. And Jesus said, if you are not for us, then you're against us. And so there's a, a hard line that's drawn in the sand. There's a, a line there between good and evil. It's a line between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And the question is, which side are you on? Now, as we face this daily battle, this everyday battle as a Christian... Our enemy is on the other side of the line, and he's against us. We have an opponent. We have an enemy who is called the devil. Now, some of this that we're going to hear is going to sound a little familiar to you because we've, we've covered this passage before in another context, but we're going to look at it in the context of spiritual war beginning today in Ephesians chapter 6. So let's hear the words of Paul beginning Ephesians 6 verse 10. Will you stand with us? And we'll read down through verse 13 this morning. Paul says toward the end of the book of Ephesians, finally. And I know every person that ever listens to a sermon loves to hear that word. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand firm. Let us pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word today, Lord. and We're thankful for the encouragement that it gives us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for the hope that we have in our hearts, Lord, that we never face a battle alone, that we always have you as the one who fights for us. Lord, our victory is in you. The enemy has been defeated. Hell has no power over us. Addiction has no power over us, Lord. Nothing in heaven or earth. Life or death cannot separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we are more than conquerors 
in you. And so, Lord, whatever battle anyone is facing as they come to worship today, I pray, Lord, that they would realize the victory. And, Lord, that they would have that hope in their heart. I pray, Lord, that if there's one here today that doesn't know you, that the enemy would be defeated today in their life. And, Lord, that their soul would be won by the King of Heaven who came down and shed His blood for them. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't like to talk about the devil. And I know that many of you don't care to hear about the devil. But I love you enough to tell you that you have an enemy. I love you enough to warn you about him. Because the Bible warns us about him. The Bible doesn't want us to be ignorant of the devil. It doesn't want us to be fearful of the devil, but we don't need to be ignorant of the devil either. So that's why Paul writes to us in the book of Ephesians. He writes to that Ephesian church, the church that Paul loved more than any other church, I I dare say. Paul loved this church so much that he decided not to go to the church. Now, you have to love a church a lot to decide not to go to a church, especially if they can cook well and... They got dinner on the grounds prepared. And this church had everything ready and paved for Paul to come in and enjoy fellowship with this church. And Paul said, no, I can't go. I'm sorry. If I go, I know I love you so much that I'll stay. And Paul said, I've got other things I have to do that the Lord's called me to do. I can't stay with you all. And so Paul wrote a letter to the church. And we know that as the epistle to the Ephesians. And in this letter, Paul tells them to be strong in the Lord. Don't give up. Whenever you're facing the battle, the victory is yours if you'll just stand firm and not back down. But he warned them about the enemy and he said, our enemy is a powerful opponent. Now look at what it says here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Christians, before we get into the the text Too far. I want to say this as our biblical truth. Christians are fighting an invisible war against Satan, our enemy. You can't see the war that's raging around you. And you cannot see the enemy. But he is a powerful opponent. Now listen, this is why he tells us to be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. Because our might, we, we are matchless. We, we just can't stand against him. So we have to stand in the strength of the Lord. The Bible talks about the strength of Satan and who he is. Satan is called the great deceiver. He's called a liar in John 8, 44. And a deceiver, Genesis 3, 13. He deceived Eve. And Revelation 12, 20, uh, 12, verse 9, he's called the great deceiver. He's also called Diablos, which means slanderer. And in Revelation 12, 10, he's the accuser of the brothers. He will tell you whatever he thinks you need to hear in order to get you to do what he wants you to do. He lies to you. Whenever he speaks, he speaks in lies. That's his native tongue is what Jesus said. Makes me think about this. Whenever I tell a lie, I'm speaking the devil's language. 
Satan is also the great divider. You know that the Bible says that Satan divided heaven and he swept a third of the angels of heaven down with his tail. Satan divided Adam and Eve in the very beginning in the garden. He, he pitted Adam against Steve. You remember whenever God asked Adam, have you taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that I told you not to take? And remember what Adam said immediately? He said, the woman you gave me. That's gotten a lot of men in trouble with their wives and with the Lord. The woman you gave me, Lord. Satan even seeks to divide the church of God, the people of God. That's why, that's why someone told you that rumor this week. The devil's trying to divide you. Try to divide brothers and sisters in Christ. Sunday school classes, even though we say dividing Sunday school classes is multiplication, right? Like we're multiplying. Well, sometimes Sunday school classes divide for the wrong reasons. He wants to divide your family. He wants to separate you from the people that you love the most. Not only is he a deceiver and a divider, but he's also a destroyer. Satan is the great destroyer. Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. The battle that you're facing is meant for the devil to be able to get a hold in your life, get a foothold in your life, and then ultimately to steal everything that you love away from you and then leave you for dead. That's what the devil wants to do in your life. Make no bones about it. He's not your friend. He's not your pal. There's not going to be a party in hell whenever you get there. He's a destroyer. He's called Abaddon and Apollyon in Revelation 9, 11, And it means destroyer. Hebrews 2 and verse 14, the Bible tells us that the devil has the power of death. He can kill the body. Satan will do everything in his power to hinder the work of God. And as we think about Satan's power for just a few moments, I want you to see both the fact that he has power, but also that he's limited. I want you to see, first of all, that Satan was once an angel of light. And the power that he has, he has from God. The power that Satan has, has come from God. All power comes from God. But he's been given this power for a time, and it's limited. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, the sun of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. The way I see it is the devil is like a falling star. And on the way down, that falling star has some light. But eventually what happens to it? It burns out. So Satan has limitations as well. Satan, number one, he, he is not omnipotent. Only God is omnipotent. Only God is all-powerful. He can do nothing that God won't allow. You remember the book of Job? When the sons of God had to go present themselves before the Lord, and then Satan himself had to come and present himself to the Lord, and the Lord said, where have you been? What have you been doing? And Satan had to give an account of himself to God. Satan is answerable to God. Also, Satan's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He relies on his minions to tell him what he knows. And then Satan's also not omnipresent. 
In the book of Job, he told the Lord, he responded, he's been wandering to and fro on the earth and going up and down upon it. Satan can't be everywhere all at one time. That's why he has his demons working for him. You'll never be able to strengthen your own hands against him, but I want to tell you this, Satan is no match for the Lord. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. And so Satan is a a powerful opponent. But secondly, our enemy, Satan, has a predictable plan. We can predict what he is going to do in your life and we can be warned against it and we can be ready For the day of evil. Look at what it says again in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. No temptation is new. It's just packaged a little differently. Satan's been doing the same thing from the beginning all the way up till today. And he, he, really, he really doesn't have any creativity whatsoever. It's all basically the same. But it works. If you realize that you're in a war with a determined enemy, you'll be ready to overcome him. But the sneak attack is what gets people. And so here's the first scheme. It's indifference. It's, it's this idea that, oh, well, I've... I've I'm saved, I'm good with God, I've made my peace with God, and I'm okay, I'm going to heaven. When you get into that position as a Christian, you become more vulnerable than anyone else whenever you decide that I'm good with God right now. Because here's the thing, the devil wants nothing more than to get you comfortable so that he can use you. And some of the people that the devil uses the most... I'm going to say this now, and it's probably going to shock you, but the people that the devil uses the most are people who call themselves Christians. Because they're indifferent when it comes to spiritual things. They're not abiding in Christ. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And many people are are not abiding in Christ and they think... They think that Satan is is not really a big deal. Satan would love for you to picture him as a laughable cartoon character in a shiny red suit with a pitchfork. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8-9, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Not only does he use indifference, he uses ignorance. Satan wants us to think that he's anything but a reality. That he's not real. That he's not there. What you don't know about Satan can hurt you. So you need to study the Word of God and know what the Bible has to say about your enemy. You remember what Sun Tzu said? In the art of war, know thy enemy. You need to know your enemy. Why? Because he knows you and he's got your number. 
Not only does he use indifference and ignorance, he uses infiltration to get into your life anywhere that he can. And he comes to you on your, your worst day when you're least expecting it. When you're tired and you're weary and you've let your guard down. I've been saying this a lot lately. The Lord put this on my heart a few months back and he just said, as a Christian, you can never let your guard down. Now, do you hear me? We are in a spiritual war. You cannot let your guard down. The moment that you, that you lay your armor down, you put your sword by the side, that's the moment that the enemy is going to attack you. You cannot let your guard down. He's coming at you. And he wants to infiltrate anywhere that he can. He wants to get a foothold. Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil a foothold. And Proverbs 6, verse 27 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? You know what that's like? That's like you and I uh, wandering off into the internet somewhere or off to a location that we don't belong, to an establishment where we shouldn't be, and expecting that nothing bad is going to happen. Going just a little bit across that line and flirting with someone of the opposite sex who's not our spouse. Whatever that is. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? You're getting too close to the fire. Read the old story about a Haitian pastor who told about a member of his congregation. A certain man who wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Well, another man wanted very badly to purchase the house but didn't have the $2,000. So he made an agreement to sell the house for half of that value. But he reserved one small peg, one nail that was hanging above the door of the house for himself. Well, after a while, a few years, the original owner desired the house once again. So he came to the man who owned the house and he said, I'd like to buy the house back. And the man who was living in the house said, no. So this man went and gathered the carcass of a dead dog and hung it on the nail of the house. Because he owned that peg. He owned that nail. And within a few days, the stench of the rotting garbage hanging on that nail was so bad that the, that the owner of the house sold the house back to the original owner. And so the Haitian pastor's conclusion as he shared that story was, if we leave the devil with even one small peg in our life, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it, making it unfit for Christ's habitation. Infiltration. But not only that, he loves to intervene as well. Intervention. He wants to get in the way and insert himself and cause all kind of trouble. I remember when we were coming back from kids camp, uh, those, the cars that wouldn't start on the way back from kids camp that tried to prevent Miss Carol from getting back. And then, I'm going to use Miss Carol for another illustration as well. We got vacation Bible school going on. And at the end of VBS, everything has gone so wonderfully. Now it's time to follow up and visit with parents. And Miss Carol slipped and fell and, and broke her shoulder, messed her shoulder up. 
But did, I want to tell you something about her. She did not allow the devil to intervene and, and prevent her from doing what God wanted her to do. She has stayed faithful. And she's continued strong. She stood firm. And I'm so thankful for that. But listen, Satan is always, in try, he's always trying to insert himself into the situation and, and prevent you from doing what God wants to do. He'll make you tired. He'll put obstacles in your way. And the last one, and some of you are going through it even right now today, you're feeling this, intimidation. He, he says things, he tells you things to make you afraid. He tells you lies, he whispers in your ear, and he'll say things like, you're damaged goods. You're not good enough for the Lord to use you. He'll tell you, you can't do it. I'll tell you, you can't do it either, but the Lord can do it through you. He'll tell you that there's no hope, but what does Jesus say? He's our living hope. He'll tell you that God doesn't love you, but what did he do? He stretched his hands out on the cross for you. He took the nails for you. He loves you infinitely. Paul says, no. This is what Paul says to Satan. He says, no, in Romans 8. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves us. Not only is the devil uh, one of those guys that is powerful, that's out there, that wants to destroy us and stop us, and not only does he have a predictable plan, he's also the personification of evil in the world around us. Whenever you see bad things happening around us, Many people, they want to they say, why would God let that happen? And they want to point the finger at God and say He's responsible. But as Christians, we know differently. God's not the author of evil. Who's the author of evil? Satan is the author of everything evil in our world. He is the personification of evil. Satan takes control over people that allow him to do that, and then he... Just blows a stench everywhere. I was going to say some other words, but I'm going to say it that way. He makes it a stinky place. Look at verse 12. For we not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And not only do we look at God, some people look at God and blame God for the world. We look at other people out there and we blame them. But what... Paul reminds us is it's not the person, it's the one at work inside the person to do the evil thing. It's the one at work in the government. It's the one at work in the, the powers controlled by the world system. It's the one at work in the authority that drives the, the events and the circumstances of the earth. It's the one that, that, that empowers through supernatural means the circumstances and the powers that are it be on the earth. The spiritual forces in the evil world. Listen, it's in a realm that you cannot see. And the next time someone does something evil to you, whatever they might do, cut you off in traffic, and you feel the urge 
And the road rage is raging up inside of you. And you think you're going to chase them down and give them a what for with your finger. Remember, it's not that person. It's not the flesh and blood. It's not the human being. It's the spiritual forces of evil that are driving the decisions that they've made. I think a lot of times we, we cut people off whenever God is wanting to do a work in their life. Listen, the reason that you've been allowed to be a victim in that situation is not so that you can be victimized. It's so that you can share the hope and love of Jesus to someone who is under the influence of Satan. And so the next time they hurt you, why don't you just say, what is it that God wants me to say in response so I can show the love and grace of Jesus to this person? Because what did Jesus do? When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, He could have looked at all of those people and said, Lord, condemn them for what they are doing. But what did the Lord say? The Lord looked at those people and He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Why? They were being influenced by the enemy. By the devil himself. 1 John 5.19 The apostle says, We know that we are from God. And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The word Beelzebub. Matthew 12 verse 24 Jesus calls Satan Beelzebub. The prince of demons. Beelzebul means the lord of the house. What house? The lord of the world. The, the spiritual darkness of the world. Luke 22 verse 53. He says, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you do not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus calls Satan, the ruler of the power of darkness. He's also the ruler of demons in Luke 11. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And then Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now, this is what he tells us. These, he's speaking to the Christians once again in Ephesians, the Ephesian church. And he's telling them, you used to be dead in, the tre in your trespasses and sin. In other words, Satan had control of your life. Your life was the devil's playground. He could do whatever he wanted to do. He had total control over you. That's who you used to be. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And this is what he's saying. He's saying all those people out there, their life... It's in such shambles and ruin because the devil has control. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. He says, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget that the Lord saved you the next time you encounter an evil person. Don't forget that the Lord saved you out of the hands of the enemy. We once lived in our passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We used to be that way. So the next time you see an evil person, think, what does the Spirit want me to say to that person to lead them to faith in Christ? 
so that they can be saved like me. You are not under the influence of Satan. If you know Christ, you've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You have nothing to fear. Stand firm against the devil. What shall we say to these things, Paul says? If God is for us, who can be against us? And that doesn't just include the enemy. That includes his minions. That includes an evil person. Who's against you if God is for you? And if God allows that person to do something to you, it's for his good purpose. Can you say that? Can you say that? I'm just, church, agree with me on this. If our God is good all the time, and all the time our God is good, and if God works out everything for my good, according to Romans 8, 28, if he does that, then if a, an evil person slaps me across the cheek, is that not because God is doing something good? Because that person just slapped someone across the cheek who is a child of the king. That person just slapped someone across the cheek who has the hope of glory living within them. And that person just hit somebody who the love of God is going to spill out of. And maybe they didn't know that that was going to happen. But I tell you what, God gives me the grace. If you hit me, that's what's going to happen. The love of God's going to come out. Our enemy, he has a predictable plan. He is the personification of evil. But lastly, he has a predetermined end. His end is sure. Listen. His time is short. Revelation 12 and verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Why? Because he knows his time is short. Somebody say amen. amen. The devil is not going to be around forever. His time is short. And maybe for you, you, you've been battling the devil, you've been battling the forces of darkness, and it, and it seems like the battle's never going to end. But I'll tell you this, the Lord's already won the victory, it's already been declared. And soon and very soon, He will bring judgment against the devil forever. His time is short. His judgment will be swift. John 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. I love that, that Jesus said, it's now, it's here. What did he do? He defeated the devil on the cross. The devil has absolutely no power, no authority over you and me. I hate it whenever I hear people say, the devil made me do it. Uh, or I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to, and then they go ahead and do it. Well, why? I mean, they just let the devil win. You don't have to let the devil win. You can say no. What is the admonition of, of Ephesians 6? The admonition is to stand firm. To not back down to the attack of the enemy. Colossians 2 and verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them by his cross. The time, his time is short, his judgment will be swift, and his end is sure. There's nothing that's going to change the end of the devil. 
all the scrambling and squirming that he's doing right now, attempting to pull as many Christians down with him and prevent as many people from being saved as possible, all that he's doing will never change his end. Revelation 12, 11, And they have conquered him. Who is they? That's us. Who is him? It's the devil. We have conquered the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. And then Revelation 20 and verse 10. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. His end is sure. So we, wouldn't, we shouldn't fear Satan. We should stand firm against Satan. Billy Graham said, be the kind of person that when your feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh no, he's awake. <laughs> Amen. As for some of us, we need to be the type of people that our feet do hit the floor every morning. And we get busy. And maybe the reason why the battle in your life seems like, seems like the devil's gaining territory is because you just kind of laid down and given up. You got to let your feet hit the floor every morning. Why? Because the devil's feet hit the floor every morning. I tell you, he wakes up every morning seeking someone to devour. Claim the victory. Stand firm. Claim the victory over sin. Don't, don't let it be an excuse the devil made me do it or the devil tempted me and I just, I just, the temptation was too strong. Paul tells us in Corinthians that we will never be tempted beyond what we can bear. Some people say, well, the Lord won't give me more than I can bear. That's a misquotation of that passage. Because the passage doesn't say the Lord won't give you more than you can bear. He gives us more than we can bear every day. But he just says, I'll bear it for you. And so he carries us. But what he does say is he'll never give us more temptation than we can overcome. And that while we're tempted, in our temptation... He'll give us a way of escape so that we may stand under it. Claim the victory over death. Listen, death has no power. And listen, I can tell you right now here today how you can face death unafraid and you can get to that point of your life where you can face death with a smile on your face. And that is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and walking with Him every day for the rest of your life. And that way, when you get to the day of your death, you'll face death with a smile. And you'll welcome it as a friend. Because you know that death is a doorway that leads to seeing your everlasting Father's face. Claim the victory over disease. I'm going to tell you something about disease. Disease has no power over us. If the Lord allows disease into our life, He's allowed it for a purpose. But disease has no power. We see Jesus lifting up the lame and, and causing the blind to see and causing the ears of the deaf to be open. Disease is something that is temporary on this earth and one day it will be totally eradicated in heaven. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more disease. You claim the victory over depression. I to tell you, so many people today are anxious, depressed, medicated, and you can claim the victory over all of those sleepless nights if you just stand firm in your faith. You can claim the victory over addiction. I'm going to tell you what. Drugs and alcohol, pornography, extramarital 
relationships. None of those have to have any power over the people of God. They're only there if we allow them to be there. How do you do that? Well, you stand on the word by faith. You stand firm. Someone said, old-timey preacher, when you carry the Bible, Satan gets a headache. When you open it, he collapses. When he sees you reading it, he loses his strength. And when you stand on the Word of God, Satan is powerless. And so, James 4 verse 7, I'll leave you with these two. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Proverbs 21 and verse 31. And this one we're going to read for the next, three, next two Sundays. We'll read this, this verse again. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Whose victory? Is it the devil's victory? Ever. No, the victory belongs to the Lord. Is it your victory over the devil? No, it's the Lord's victory. It's His work in your life and in my life that defeats the enemy. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I wonder, what battle have you been facing? Has the enemy been on you lately? Is he after you? I'll tell you, ultimate victory belongs to Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection defeated the enemy once and for all. He has no control over you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So the question is, has that taken place in your life? Have you made the declaration that Jesus is Lord of all and He's Lord of me? Have you said that to the Lord? Have you asked Him to forgive you of your sins? Have you asked Him to save you? If you've never done that before, there's no better opportunity than right now. Right now is the day. Right now is the day of salvation. And so if you're inviting Jesus into your life, you're saying yes to Him as your Lord and as your Savior, then you say this prayer with me in your heart. Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I know that I've done wrong and I have failed to do things that I know are right. I deserve the penalty for my sin. I deserve to be separated from you. But Jesus, I believe that you came. You lived a sinless life. The life that I could never live. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that on the third day you were raised again. And that you're alive today. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Make me a new person. I want to be your person. Thank you for my salvation. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. As my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you prayed that prayer, then the greatest thing.
that could ever happen has happened in your life. Lord Jesus has heard that prayer. He's made you a new person. He's forgiven you. And you belong to Him now. And we want to celebrate with you. So if anyone prayed that prayer, we invite you during this invitation to come and let it be known what Jesus has done for you. Declare it and we'll celebrate with you. We'll offer you believers baptism. Offer you resources. Offer you small group that you can be a part of so that you can grow in your faith and grow in your service for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you're looking for a church home and you know that the Lord has led you to this place and you're ready to commit to join our church, then you come. This is your invitation. If you need prayer, then the altar is going to be open. Our altar counselors will be here to pray with you. You come as we sing together. Come now as we sing.